Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Neon Shadows. Neon Shadows is a supernatural noir drama created by Ian Knowles. The story centers around private investigator Frank Dixon as he's drawn into discovering the truth behind a series of grisly murders and discovers fantastical secrets about the city he lives in that upends his reality. Knowles, who also does the voice of Frank, is working on the third season of the show. The first episode, A Shadow Looms, has Frank looking into a murder victim who has had all the blood drained from his body. I spoke to Ian remotely from his home in Ohio. Tell me a little bit about yourself as an artist and a creator and a writer. Just a simple Midwest boy. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I was born and raised in Ohio. When I was young, I liked to draw and paint and sculpt and stuff. Also would always take a uh, cassette tape recorder radio combo and I would always try to record my own radio shows and stuff like oh, yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's, that's kind of like what made it feel like I was always supposed to be here at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Yeah, yeah. I used to do stuff like that too. I had forgotten about this, but I remember recording a letter to someone walking around my college campus. This was the nerd that I was with one of those um, portable cassette recorders, not even a microphone, just speaking <laughs> into the, into the <laughs> built-in mic that was on it. And like making up a story as I was going around and and then I would go back and like use practical sound effects. <laughs> That's great. I remember I used to do like these little audio only skits and we would try to make jokes or scenarios, even in, with like slapstick humor that you typically have to see. And yeah. we would try to make it sound like there's dimension and comedy just on that little recorder. And I remember us playing with outside and I dropped it and it shattered in a million pieces and no. I lost, lost it all. That's terrible. oh man so you you've always been attracted to storytelling even when you were a kid yeah i mean i'm the eldest sibling and i have like two rambunctious sisters who had no interest in like video games art or reading or anything like that so my dad really like invested all of his creative focus into me like my bedtime was at like nine or ten and i could stay up an hour or two later if i was working on art or i was reading a book Mm, so uh, just incentivizing 
me to be more creative, even though that was already like a main focus of mine. I was always into just wanting to sponge up and absorb stories, whether it was in music, movies. You know, I loved watching music videos as a kid, seeing how they would interpret the song and Mm. turn it into like visual art. So all kinds of things like that. It really just made me hyper-focused on wanting to create stuff all the time. My wife could tell you, I just, I pick up a thousand different hobbies and there's no telling where I'll go with any of them. I think, I think a lot of us artist types do that. It's like, oh, this is fun. And then we do that for a bit. No, this is fun. Did you want to incorporate storytelling or your art into your studies? Oh, no, I I went in, I went to school for business. (laughs) Like, uh, honestly, my mom just figured that college was the only right path, you know, from her schooling and stuff. She thought like that was kind of the route you had to go to be successful. Luckily, it's not. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, I went to business school for a couple of years and then I dropped out. What brought you to audio drama from there? Tons of failed projects. I kind of have like this entrepreneurial spirit. I love to start things up and see if I can get them rolling. You know, I started with like physical products, but then I realized, you know, it's just so mindless to me. Like a lot of it's repetitive and monotonous. And if my heart's not in something, then realistically, what am I getting out of it? I started to lean more towards creative things. Like I had a YouTube channel where I'd rate and review obscure movies and video games. Like, so I, I did that for a while. It's called OK, Let's Review. I, I feel like there's some measure of success because uh, we made a lot of people mad. So with our <laughs> opinions, so that's <laughs> that's always great. So after that, I started listening to shows like the No Sleep podcast and then Old Gods of Appalachia. And I said, you know what? I can do this. I can like bring the stories that bounce around in my head all day. You know, I was thinking, who do I think I am to just be able to like make a script and just to do all this stuff. And I was like, but you know, like everybody had to start there. So exactly. I was like, let's see what I can do. I just want to go back a little bit to what you said earlier about you you had a bunch of projects that you sort of tried to get off the ground and you said a lot of them failed. And that's, you know, it's been a lot of my mind personally lately, just this idea of how do you reconcile your self-image with, you know, sometimes things fail. Can I ask you about your attitude toward failures? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a big thing I think everybody needs to hear. So many people are so afraid to fail. Just make sure you're failing up. Fail, research, adjust, fail. Every company that's ever existed, every entrepreneur that's ever been successful. You know, Mark Cuban, he doesn't sit there and talk about his 40,000 failures, but you could pry it out of him because usually it's a badge of honor. There's just some things you're just never going to learn unless you learn it the hard way. Just some random kid who doesn't know anything, you know, and he wants to sell jeans or something like you're going to have to fail by learning about supply chain, supply and demand. You're going to have to fail about learning how to source goods and cost adjustments, you know, and that's not even involving the stylistic and artistic aspect of it all and advertising, Mm -hmm. you know, what we do, creating audio drama and stuff like that. That's a lot of work and you have to wear a million hats, you know, otherwise you can't get anything going. So I think failure is probably the most important component in anything that's successful. I think it's very easy for us to, at least for some of us, to attach a sense of personal worth or competence to the projects that we do. And so if the project fails, then that's somehow a reflection on us when it's maybe a reflection on just dozens of other possible things that didn't work or a reflection on the fact that you needed to fail here so that you could learn a lesson to do better next time. But that's really hard, I think, to accept. Yeah, I think um, having a thick skin is obviously a great advantage in that respect, yeah. Yeah. Um, which which I do. But, you know, it wasn't 
earned gracefully. So <laughs> yeah. So where did Neon Shadows come from? I thought, man, it'd be really cool to just like make a story and just really make like, you know, I didn't even know it was really called audio drama at the time. Mm -hmm. I was just calling everything radio plays. And then Dan Faulkner, who is the voice of Dusty Willis, Frank's sidekick in Neon Shadows, he got to talking with me like, you know, it would be really cool. And I trust you as a writer, even though you haven't written a lot, I really like what you write. So I was just like, what kind of genre are we interested in? What kind of story are we interested in telling? Uh, we want like a dark, kind of gritty, cool scenario. And then I said, you know, what's kind of underserved is the noir genre. What do you like about noir? I've always liked it. Classics like Maltese Falcon, Chinatown, even though it's not technically noir, I've, I've always really liked spy and like James Bond movies. Noir is typically about crime and corruption. One of the recurring things that you typically see in film noir is the institutions that we as societies tend to believe in are shown to be corrupt or rotten. And that's why it's usually an outsider figure, like a detective, that's doing the, the investigation um, because they're not part of the system. And usually the detective is broken in some way emotionally or uh, has a past that they're running from. So I'm curious as to why these particular themes attract you in terms of the stories you want to tell. I guess in part is because it's real. It feels more raw. You know, in making this, I also wanted to, I didn't want to be the main character, mind you, but that's just yeah. how it shook out. But I wanted to explore voice acting as well on top of this, since I obviously don't have enough on my plate with editing alone. <laughs> my friends that I went in making this with, with Dan and his uh, girlfriend, Amber, who plays Lady and also Cordelia, we just all thought it'd be a cool thing to do together. I typically like dark themes, not not just because it's more like real, because I'm nowhere near as jaded as the main characters of these <laughs> of these shows. But um, yeah. I do like the the dark tones. I like the truth. I like the mystery. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Neon Shadows in your own words? You know, you have a jaded private eye who has some military experience, and it's inferred that there's some law background. You know, back in the 50s and into the early 60s, they called it shell shock. PTSD was pretty much untreated entirely. And so it was just kind of considered just part of someone's personality. So you kind of see that come through in Frank. But Frank also reflects a lot of my view of the world as well. Some of his past is similar to mine. It's the first script I, I ever fully wrote. So it is like connected. It's like tethered to my heart a little bit. Can I ask, what do you share in common with Frank? A family history with alcohol and drug abuse, mm, yeah. you know, going through certain traumatic events, I can relate. I don't have it anywhere near as bad as some people do, but, you know, I've I heard a saying that was like, let no good pain go to waste, mm -hmm. um, kind of use, yeah. you know, kind of the reasons why I would hate the world or I would be mad in general, because I did used to have an anger problem and it, it kind of feels like it's really easy to write Frank and dictate him from a position of he didn't find the answer I found. You know, psychiatry wasn't a normal thing in Frank's yeah. day. So yeah. <laughs> we can get help on our phones, um, on our cell phones. Whereas, you know, back then there still kind of is now there's a strong stigma around not getting help for yourself mentally. Right. Neon Shadows is a noir story about an investigation into a series of murders. Frank is the only main character in season one. And he's surrounded by a small group of supportive individuals. He looks into a murder that the cops are kind of just brushing off. He's 
been pitched with finding out more about the murder and using his connections in the police department. The first murder is of a client of Frank's, her sister's boyfriend, and she's also married. So it's kind of like a hush-hush situation of infidelity. It turns out to be it's just one of a slew of murders that ends up pointing towards the first serial killer that this town's ever seen. The first episode is called The Shadow Rises, and this is where we get to meet Frank, and we also get to meet Dusty, who Mm -hmm. is Frank's sidekick assistant, Um, and they're investigating a murder, but he has strange-looking holes in his neck, and all the blood appears to be drained from his body. And this is not the only one of these types of murders, so there's, over the next episodes, more of these victims turn up. You know, of course, the first thing they think of is vampires. And I love the fact that you actually kind of lampshade that a bit. You actually bring that up in the first episode. You have the police going, what do you think this is, like Dracula? Hey, Joe, what's it looking like? You know I can't give you any information about an ongoing case. I stood perplexed. I saw that you immediately noticed my furrowed brow. Oh, come on, asshole. You know I'm just messing with you. Oh, yeah. And he pictured himself one hell of a comedian. Alright, quit busting my chops. What's going on here? Well, like it says in the report, and like I told you on the phone, he's got two puncture wounds on his neck. Like we're dealing with Dracula or some shit. It also looks like he got his blood sucked right out. I don't know. Maybe see what you can make out of it. What's your case have to do with mine, by the way? I facetiously grinned. Oh, come on now, Joe. You know I can't talk to you about an ongoing investigation. I'm a fan of tropes, recognizing them and using the good ones to make your story more entertaining. So there's lots of red herrings. You know, if for those of you who don't know what a red herring is, it's basically a switcheroo. I'm making you think it's one thing, it's actually another. But even that other might actually refer to something else instead of the original. It's pretty on the nose. There's even a bar in the show called the Red Herring. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I wanted to like really like pay homage to you know literary devices and and that I'm no stranger to wanting to use them. The second episode continues the investigation. We get to meet some other people that are in in Frank's life. We meet uh, a detective who is Frank's friend in the police. We also get to meet Ulysses, who is the manager of uh, another club. In the second episode, Frank is trying to find as much information as he can. He uh, ends up getting into a fight, trying to protect a contact. You do a lot of really gritty Foley in that fist fight. That must have been a challenge to pull off. That was like my number one challenge was everybody said, even my close friends who I I typically consider their counsel extremely wise. They said, don't focus too heavily on action. And I understand, you know, the pitfalls there, but I kind of wanted to make something cool in spite of it. To this day, I still don't hear a lot of audio drama that has like solid three dimensional gritty action going on. All right, guys, whatever you had tonight, I think you've had enough. Now go on, get home. The city ain't safe at night. I'll show you not safe, old man. Quicker than I thought it would be, the tip of his back glanced off my shoulder, followed up by a punch straight to the gut from one of the guys in the front of me. <laughs> The one with the lead pipe came in for a swing but missed. (laughs) The only one who didn't make a move yet threw a fist at my face. I threw an elbow up in time for him to bust his knuckles directly on my bone. I threw a jab at him, but then the lead pipe came from beside me, hitting square in my jaw. I fell to my knees. 
Just as I started to see stars, I shook them off. As the lead pipe started to come down again, I grabbed the wrist of my assailant, sliding my arm and then my shoulder underneath his elbow. What was one became two, as I snapped his limb at the fold. Luckily, it horrified his friend who carted him out of the alley swiftly. Come on, man, let's go! Two down, two to go. What is your philosophy behind doing action scenes in audio dramas? Because uh, we don't have the visual element. Part of the reason I picked noir on top of all the other reasons is because you have an excuse to narrate, mm. especially on the inside of someone's head. But that's also what the action is helping with as well. Is I actually took a lot of care in order to fight that feeling of uh, I don't belong here and all that imposter syndrome stuff. I feel like I did a pretty good job at creating a, a soundscape on season one that made you feel like you were in these locations. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's really important. Do I want it all the time? No. Does every step need to have its own sound represented? Definitely not. You can only track so many sounds at once and for so long. I listen to a lot of expensive, like top tier BBC <laughs> audio dramas. And I'm just thinking, does that alarm need to go off for five actual minutes? You know, like things like that. Like I understand he's trying to escape this chair, but do I have to hear the chair rock back and forth for like all formats of this conversation? Yeah. You know, and, and the truth is you don't. People are smart. You only need to inject it in certain intervals so that people understand what's going on and feel like they're in that position, but it doesn't wear their ears out. I think of it like a director directing a play or directing a movie where you're positioning the camera or you're using lighting or movement on stage to make the audience look at a particular place at a particular time, right? You're guiding the focus of the, right. of the audience. And in audio drama, you can do that with the sound choices you make, not only in their positioning left and right, for example, but also just what you choose to play for the audience. I like the way you put it with like the, like the spotlight, but for yeah. your ears, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, guiding focus, right? That's what, that's one of the things that directors do. Get the audience to pay attention to what they want the audience to pay attention to when they want that to happen. Noir narration is, is a longstanding trope. Usually the detective is talking to the audience. That's usually sort of the way it's framed. But Frank is talking to someone else, and we're not really sure who that is in the first two episodes. It sounds like someone he has lost, perhaps a, a, a lover or a close friend, someone he was close to. But we never really find out in the first two episodes. But he, he addresses them directly, you know, and he says, I don't know that you'll ever hear this anyway. I thought I would have been drinking a whiskey at Pan's Hollow, complaining about the weather. Figured the job would always be catching cheating spouses and finding runaways that aren't really runaways. I also thought you'd always be by my side, but things change. Truth is, I didn't appreciate you when I had you. Too little, too late. I don't even know what I'm doing here. Is this an apology? My guilt run rampant? Are these the final words of farewell before I confront my mortality? Doesn't matter, really. You probably won't hear this. Talk to me about your choice in using narration. Season one is almost like a Tarantino season. Your first scene when you're listening to Frank, basically he's on the road. And this is at the beginning of season two. Hmm. So you're basically getting the end of the, the first season first. 
it's almost like the first season is almost like he's recollecting when you have the story from his perspective. Um, and he is talking to someone who's no longer with him. We've all lost somebody. And I feel mm-hmm. like right off the bat, you're feeling a little bit of sympathy and empathy for Frank. Yeah, I agree. We've all heard noir narration. And in fact, it's it sometimes becomes a joke. But I think the way you use it makes him seem more human. And it makes me kind of go, wait, who's he talking to? Because he's not talking to me. <laughs> and it's clearly that he's missing someone. And there is an empathy there that uh, I think is generated. There's a thing that's common in noir that is missing, at least in the first two episodes. And that is the femme fatale. Now, in traditional noir, the femme fatale is a woman who is a threat to the protagonist. Usually this is a woman who finds herself in the need of power, but because of the time and because of society, she doesn't have access to the power that men do. So she gets the men to do the powerful and terrible things that she is unable to do herself. Now, the femme fatale character has evolved over time. In the 80s, when they had the neo-noir like basic instinct, the femme fatale becomes much more proactive. But I did notice that at least in the first two episodes, we don't see the femme fatale appear. Men aren't only heroes of this story. So mm-hmm. while in a way that femme fatale trope is created, it's just more complicated than that. I, I will say that a lady, the character that positions herself to ask Frank for help in searching for her sister's lover's murder. So in a way, lady is kind of your stand-in for that trope, but consciously later that trope evolves and there are multiple characters. What makes a good detective character to listen to? You know, a feeling like you would have confidence that he would kind of push those you push those chains, you know, he would he would uh, get these events rolling a little more reckless, maybe. Um, uh, very proactive. Yeah, he's he's interested in closing these cases, not just taking them. You know, so a little bit of bravery, a little bit of stupidity in, in his bravery, you know. Yeah. It's a fine line between the two. Sometimes I almost want to make you wonder which edge he's on. I mean, when we're talking about like an anti-hero or a hero, at the end of the day, they do this almost begrudgingly to help others. Mm-hmm. Frank's almost an anti-hero. You know, he's, he's pretty complex. Pride myself in how the characters unveil over multiple seasons and how they grow. And I would say that Frank's kind of like in between a hero and an anti-hero. He doesn't want to admit that he wants to do it. Like it's a, it's a chore. Like, man, I wish they'd take care of themselves, but I guess I'll handle it. So Neon Shadows has been out almost two years now? It'll be two years in September of this year. You've had two seasons? And you're working on your third, is that right? Yeah, the third's written, mostly voice acted, just waiting to scramble up the remaining remnants and get editing. How has the show grown and changed over the years? Well, we started with an untreated room and a Yeti microphone. So (laughs) uh, we've come a very long way since then. Well, actually, most of the cast for season one are just amateur voice actors. I was an amateur producer and editor. I just (laughs) learned a ton of lessons. I still think that we did great. You know, there's tons of things that would change or do more efficiently. But also, I feel like it's good enough to leave up. You know, that it's kind of like a hot topic for audio dramas to say, uh, would you replace your first episode or your first season? Um, and I think in this case, no. The story we wanted to tell got across. If you're interested in that kind of story, you'd stick around regardless. Any of the growing pains from the first couple episodes get better. And in season two... We switched to XLR microphones, 
we went from a Yeti to a Rode NT1A and we had a like a half treated sound area at that time. Yeah. I took an Amazon box, a big one, and like hot glued and paneled the crap out of it and put some like heavy blankets around it so there'd be no vibration. And, you know, I really like try to do as much as I could. So the second season sounds a lot better. What do you struggle with? Time management now. Yeah. <laughs> um, season one, I just feel like there's always a honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. And then season yeah. two, there was like a fire under us because it was just momentum moving and making a lot of new friends and enjoying what we're in and me getting to like the core of the story that's going to like make people stick around and bond with the characters. And like there's a lot of framework being laid because, you know, I would like to make this five or six seasons at least. But, you know, when it's time for a story to end, it's time for it to end. Um, sure. Unless you're supernatural, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would say by the third season, I'm I'm kind of at the point where it's like, like, I understand the zone I'm in. It, it just gets harder because I get like, I guess you could say like more popular voice actors. People are doing big projects, so I have to like wait on them a little bit. Mm, yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm working on Borderlands 3. I can't help you with this yet. Nice. Or, you I mean, know, <laughs> I'm filming this movie in the UK. I can't help yet. So it's it's like, okay, you know, I I have to like work with each other's schedules. I, I do take the opportunity, though, to write ahead while I'm waiting. So yeah. um, season four is like almost written for, for Neon Shadows, even though season three is not 100% recorded yet. How do you measure success in your work? I'm an analytical person, but I'm also, you know, an emotional person as well. So I like to see data just because I like to see what works and what doesn't. But I try not to get too invested in the numbers because I feel like you're just setting yourself up for heartbreak um, because, you know, it's the long running average is what matters, not your individual downloads per day, per week. You know, like if you were running a show that was like a talk show and it had advertisements and it was monetized, then, you know, maybe you would care more about your daily data because you'd be like, why am I dipping here? You know, yeah. but but for audio drama, especially one that um, money's not really important, we usually fundraise at the beginning of, an, of a season uh, just so I can pay my voice actors and that's it. And, you know, if we don't meet that amount, I just still find a way to pay them out of pocket. So yeah. it would be great to get the leverage of more money just to make more stuff make more stories happen but you know how i measure success is just basically by reception and and how good of a community i'm able to build around me Um, i think that's the most important thing Uh, so you've been doing this for a couple years now how do you stay motivated well that's an interesting question because i'm not always motivated you know i'm not always i'm just going to be 100 percent honest i'm just a a human guy and sometimes things happen in your life and you get windswept and COVID affects it a little bit because I'll get a swath of actors. They're all out at the same time. You know, I've gotten COVID twice. So, mm-hmm. you know, the second time kind of fogged my brain up. It was after Christmas. Felt like I wasn't even like able to write for about a month and a half to like February. I think the hardest thing isn't staying motivated versus telling myself it's okay not to be right now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's okay to take a break. Like my voice actors are awesome, but when it comes to every other aspect of the creation process, I'm a one man band. You know, the writing, the producing, the coordinating, the editing, the marketing is like the worst because it's like it almost <laughs> seems like the most soulless aspect and it's a necessary evil in a way. I'm laughing because I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we all kind of fight with that a little bit. And 
But the thing is, the more time you spend marketing, the more friends you make, because like marketing can be organic. You know, it yeah. it doesn't have to be all Facebook ads and numbers. The way you keep people is by making great entertainment that you pour your heart and soul into and you actually connect with these people. What lessons have you learned about creating audio drama over the past two years that you can share with people who might want to create their own? Most importantly, just get started. But it is important to not just take in info, but really like use it to your advantage. There's never been a better time to start. The barrier of entry is almost nothing. If you found the right story to tell the right way, you can do it all from your phone. Put something out that's not out there. You know, mm. tell a story from a perspective that you can't by reading Twitter and doom scrolling, you know, like come up with an idea that really energizes you and makes you feel like this is a story that needs to be told. Just make something really cool that you can like put something out there and think like, okay, that's cool. That needs to be there because I haven't seen it anywhere else. <laughs> hello. Hello. Open up the fucking door. I'm, I'm coming. Hello. Took you long enough. Wait, are you fucking crying right now? Pathetic. You better be crying because you're so fucking happy that you have enough money to pay your damn rent. Uh, uh, you know I get paid on Wednesday and it's only Monday. I don't give a fuck when you get paid. What I give a fuck about is you paying your rent on the first of the month. I don't care if it's three in the morning or five in the fucking afternoon. I want my goddamn money on the first. What the fuck do you do in here all damn day anyways? I never see you leave. I never see anybody else come in. Uh, I, 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 I don't really have any family or... Who the fuck would be your friend? Anyways, you weird little goblin, I want paid tomorrow. Well, your ass is out on the street. But I... I said tomorrow, freak! <laughs> I'm not saving you. You're not worthy of my protection. <laughs> Neon Shadows embraces film noir, but weaves in a supernatural element that is unusual for stories of its kind. It's also not afraid to give a knowing nod to the genre now and again. But the show rises above mere tropes through its characters, which are complex and true to life. You can listen to Neon Shadows on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. you got questions about him where did he come from how did he do all those things they say he did was he a terrorist was he crazy was his skin really blue 
Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.